Hello. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Great. <laughs> morning. Good morning. Good morning. We uh, we'll just wait for uh, people to um to to come in and join us, and we'll start again at just past the hour. Cool. Morning, Nicola. You don't have your flower background. You're on mute, darling. <laughs> so yeah, I'm on my computer rather than my iPhone. Okay. But I've had that fritillary background in treasury meetings and all sorts this week. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. People sort of suited from the waist up going, is that a real flower? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we're at 11 on the dot, so this is when most people will be starting to join in. So we'll give it a few minutes, um, and then we can get started proper, just as more people join. 20, right. 27. <laughs> it's so great to see everybody on the Saturday. It's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Hello, Ruth. How are you, Abby? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. This must be quite a testing time. I'm using the word fraught an awful okay. lot recently. Yeah, um, it's just that things change a hundred times a day. That's the problem. So it's difficult because obviously you try to explain things to customers and give them certainty. But by the time that that things might come round for them everything might be different anyway so it's really hard but most people have been really understanding and quite um quite pragmatic so that's good yeah yeah good good yeah it's just just hard though yeah. um and, that and don't know abby's day job is a funeral director so yeah. The um, there was a bit of a battle to be key worker status because obviously you know all that their staff is about being you know family centred and going with the family's wishes at that horrendous time and making it less horrendous. But I mean, yeah. in this situation, it just can't be what you would want, you know, for anyone really. No, it's really hard, and we've changed our ways of working a lot just so that we can keep trying to go for as long as we can, um, and so that we can have funerals for people for as long as we're able to do that. Because um, we might not, there might come a time where they say, particularly if people stop adhering, you know, keep not adhering to the rules about number of people at a funeral, then they may well just stop them altogether, and that would obviously be really bad. Um, you know very difficult for people it's actually it's really interesting because um, you hit you're seeing a lot of people saying oh we can't have a proper funeral but as it turns out what their definition of a proper funeral is is loads of people being there mm. um, and 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 that's quite as quite interesting because not everyone has that anyway mm. you know some people have smaller funerals anyway so it, there's there's a lot of sort of if I was in a different position i'd be observing a lot of it with mm. quite a lot of interest i think but at the moment it's just get up every day go to work come home at the end of it and do it all again basically so if you're joining this isn't abby doing her paper we've just asked her how it's going in the funeral business in the light of corona and she's saying it's extremely fraught and challenging as you can imagine 
Hello, everybody. Seeing you Hi, all everyone. joining in makes me feel very happy. Hello. Oh, Lizzie, haven't seen you for ages. Hello, everybody. Um, right. Hi. Oh, Sarah Playfair. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Okay. So, um, we are, yeah, we're at three minutes past. I think we uh, might as well start, really. Um, same format as last time. I'll just go through some of the house rules and things, and then we'll go over to Nicola to introduce the uh, first paper. I'm still doing some admin here just to get people into the chat. So, welcome, everybody, Academic Archers Research Fellows, new and old. Um, welcome to our world of, of analysing and laughing at life in Ambridge. Um, I'm actually going to put you all on mute now, if I can, because I can hear lots of background noise. Um, so during this, if you can keep your, your own microphones on mute, that really helps, because we hear literally everything. Tip tapping on the keyboards will sound like you're bashing it with a hammer. All the noise in the background, somebody walking past in the other room can be picked up as well. Same format as last time, we'll do one paper, then a Q&A and chat around that and then into the next. Um, and uh, yeah, so some free metaphor microphones, I'll put you on mute. If you want to ask a question, you can do or make a comment. You'll see, it's, it kind of depends on what, what sort of device you're using this on. But somewhere in your Zoom screen, you will find um, a chat icon there. So then that opens up a little chat screen to the side of your screen with all the faces on. And you can put some comments in there. There's also a button that you can put your hand up. Because um, I won't necessarily see you put your hand up on the screen. There's so many of you, I only get to see a selection. But you can tag on your, your screen that you've, you've got a question to ask. Um, and I'll see when, um, I'll get a little notification on that, so then I'll come to you and we can ask you that question. And Nicola and I will get through the chat as well. When the speakers come to give their talk, they'll share their screen with you. That doesn't change anything on your computer, it just changes the view that you have. And that's all that that does. Um, and then the last thing I was going to say is Nicola and I have actually set up a Patreon this time, is uh, putting this onto uh, um, uh, to, to podcast this. Uh, it's, it's costing us some money, but not much, not much. But if you do want to support, that would be amazing. The link to that is on the website. Um, and we'll send you a lovely academic archers and then badge if you do that as well. But not just yet when we can get to that postbox safely. So Nicola, over to you if you want to introduce Abby's amazing paper from our very first uh, conference back in 2016. So Abby, can you take your screen off to off share? That's not my screen on share. That's Dillis's. It says you're viewing Dillis Hartman's oh, screen. Okay. Oh, yes, so when you right. so when you said it, it happened, but it'll it'll you can override. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Right. Go for it. So Headlam's kind words. This morning we are delighted to welcome two presenters and an in a replay of a famous paper. Did you enjoy my Linda Snell pronunciation of in absentia? <laughs> First up, we have Abby Pattenden with Seeming Seeming, Othello and the Archers, and Rob Titchener. 
picking up on the theme of intertextuality developed by the German Baker paper last week, where Freya warned us that extended work comparing Rob to TJ Mackey of Magnolia would be another mostly mad enterprise game on Freya. We have seen over the years some wonderful papers which arise from cultural and literary references far beyond Borsetshire. Finding reference points and developing this comparison requires familiarity with both the archers and another source material. So for these purposes, the archers becomes a text which then encounters another text, hence intertextuality. Uh, the term rose to prominence in the 90s as the condition of postmodernity led to cultural loops and remixes as the norm. And in Yulia Kristeva's uh, definition, hang on, uh, intertextuality is a mosaic of quotations. Any text is the absorption and transformation of another. The notion of intertextuality, therefore, means that poetic language is read at least as double. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through. Abby Passenden was so uh, immersed in Shakespeare that she used to tweet more often as much ado about Ambridge as she saw Shakespearean references threaded through like the life of the village. As Cara says, this is another paper from the Deep Back Catalogue presented at Finsbury Square in the first year. And Abby has followed up for us in recent years with papers on death and dying in Ambridge, and then in Reading virtually before it was trendy, um, with a paper on Joe's funeral. This vein of interest is as we uh, were just talking about before, because IRL, what on earth IRL is these days, I, in real life, Abby is a funeral director and the most recent past president of the National Association of Funeral Directors. This work, particularly at this moment, is intense and emotional, just like Abby. She has been exploring some of the issues that the profession's been facing on her Twitter account, and that's quite harrowing to think about. From the sublime to the ridiculous, Abby has an emotional support stuffed animal called Piglet who travels with her. Fun fact, so does reader in music, Dr. Freya Jarman, a mouse. The meeting of these avatars at the Lincoln Conference was truly one of those academic archers moments, which makes you think about your life choices. This paper is in the first book, The Archers in Fact and Fiction, Academic Analyses of Life in Rural Borsetshire, published by Lang in 2016, available in all good bookshops. Over to you, Abby. Lovely, right. Can people hear me? And can you see my slides? Yep. Right. I've never tried to do anything like this with slides before, so people are going to have to bear with me, I'm afraid. Um, and if you do hear a noise in the background, it is my budgies. They can't be moved. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Um, so um, this paper is mostly as I delivered it in 2016. Um, I've deliberately left the conclusions as they were because the first academic archers took place in the middle of the storyline and I think it's quite interesting to view it through that lens. Um, the main change that I've made is that I'm a bit more tech savvy now and so hopefully I've managed to add the relevant audio to the slides um, and I did this really because Freya and Emily's presentation last week was so great and it was amazing to actually hear the dialogue that we were talking about so I'd like to say thank you for that it's inspired me to learn a new skill this week um, so, the representation of Rob Titchener within the Archers has generated much controversy with descriptions of him including evil and a psychopath. 
Arguably one of the main sources of this controversy, other than the behaviour of Rob toward Helen, has been Rob's ability to deceive others. This paper argues that seeming, which pervades Shakespeare's Othello, is also seen in the portrayal of Rob. Rob was originally conceived as a Brian-style cad, but the Archer's editor, Sean O'Connor, changed his mind after early scenes between Louisa Petikas and Timothy Watson ignited something in his mind. Previously, O'Connor had asserted that the model of the Archers is really Shakespearean, but which characters he had in mind when making that comparison is not known. I've assumed that most people are familiar enough with the plot of Othello that they don't need refreshing, um, but the knowledge that you need of it um, for understanding of this paper is really minimal. Um, the main thing to know is that in Othello, honesty is a binary condition. Uh, there's very little evidence of any moral ambiguity. While the contemporary setting of the archers necessitates less straightforward characterization, examination of Rob shows that his ability to seem places him comfortably in the world of Othello. The seeming in Othello is most evident in Iago. He convinces both Othello and Cassio that he has their best interests at heart. He deceives his wife Amelia and his friend Rodrigo so that both of them unwillingly advance his plot. Sorry, unwittingly advance his plot. Iago comments that Othello thinks men honest but that seem to be so. This is the predominant quality that he and Rob share, the ability to understand and benefit from weaknesses in others. In February 2014, gosh, long time ago, who'd have thought, Shula witnessed Rob assaulting Hunt Saboteur. When the incident was reported to the police, Rob portrayed himself as the victim. Shula was then placed in an impossible position, whereby she was forced to either lie about what she saw, which corroborated Rob's account but left her vulnerable to accusations of criminality, or to tell the truth and risk damage to the reputation of the Hunt. It could be argued that her choice in confirming Rob's version of events was contrary to her saintly status. However, she admitted to Rob that she acted from loyalty to the hunt, but also to Helen. It takes a skilled judge of character to see beneath someone's obvious motivations to the deeper ones within. Rob must have sensed something which made him feel she would lie. It is this adeptness at exploiting other characters' qualities that sees him succeed. And we see these manipulations very often. So to stop Helen from working full-time in Ambridge Organics, Rob targeted her fears on missing out on Henry's childhood. To disrupt Ian and Adam's relationship, he played on Ian's suspicions of Adam's infidelity and the insecurities that he felt about his sexuality in light of his background. To prevent her family from being too involved in Helen's life, he reminded both parties of how unwelcome their interference had been in the past. Cassio is one of Iago's many victims. Iago's plan hangs on him acting badly. Like Rob, Iago can spot weaknesses and guesses correctly that when drunk, Cassio will become as full of quarrel and offence as my young mistress's dog. Iago plies him with alcohol, placing Rodrigo to provoke him, and Cassio's subsequent attack of Montano leads to his downfall. Othello witnesses the after-effects and makes his disappointment plain, calling Cassio a night brawler. And Cassio is devastated by this. Oh, I have lost my reputation, I have lost the immortal part of myself, and what remains is bestial. 
He is immediately worried about the implications of this um, because he fears that Othello will be deceived by his drunken behaviour. And in the world of the play, that would be enough for Othello to think that his prior good conduct was the falsehood. Reputation is so important, but it's really, really fragile. And that reinforces the risks inherent if you're judged to have been seeming. Rob is also concerned about his reputation. He's quick to use his skills in manipulation in this respect. An example of this was seen in a conversation between Rob, Tom and Pat over the selling of non-organic meat in the Bridge Farm shop. And I'm hoping that we can actually hear that. Cara, can you nod if you can't hear this? Or well, actually nod if you can, I suppose, makes more sense. Oh, drat. Sorry, technical issue. Let me just go back a slide and I'll see if I can make it play. It did when I tried it the other day. Um, sorry, technical. Helen and I thought it would be helpful to have the new ordering policy spelled out in black and white to to uh, avoid any more confusion uh what new policy uh widening the net from organic to non-organic high quality local suppliers are we doing that uh, well we seem to be i took a few mints and steak packs from jack fraser we've had another customer asking if we're doing things differently now i hadn't realized we were it's no big deal i was trying to be flexible no i appreciate that it's, it's simply knowing where the new boundaries lie it's common sense really when was this decided? I'm suggesting it now, Mum. Sometimes it makes more sense to stock something local and welfare friendly than rack up air miles buying inorganic. Yeah. Helen and I quite agree. We simply want to know if, well, we've any say in what qualifies. Or if that's best left to you, Tom. Continuing on an ad hoc basis. Of course you and Helen will decide, Rob. Ah, uh, well, that wasn't quite clear. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to listen to that again. Um, as with other similar scenarios, Rob sounds really reasonable, um, but a lot of this comes about from his skill with language. He uses words like simply, that suggests what he wants is rational. Um, he uses qualifying language, we seem to be doing things, things are not quite clear, and that makes the message seem milder. Um, he presents the suggestions that he's making as helpful. Um, he has a consistently light tone of voice and that rarely alters. Um, he's persistent in achieving a concession, but once he's done so he always appears grateful and magnanimous and all of these tactics make concerns about acceding to his request seem churlish um, in this way he achieves two goals first he gets what he wants in the specific scenario but secondly he reinforces his self-imposed place at the top of the hierarchy it's notable in this conversation that Tom sounds defensive and I'm sure people won't remember, but it's because Tom and Rob had already had this exact conversation earlier the previous day. Uh, Tom had assumed that the whole matter was resolved. So bringing it up again and in front of Pat is obviously theoretically really passive aggressive, but Rob's tone and use of language contradict that impression. And so Tom's just confused and put on the spot. 
the concern with Rob's reputation is a key facet of his criticism of Helen. He always objects if he believes that she has undermined him, such as in Ursula's unexpected visit on the 7th of December 2015, when Helen told her that Adam and Ian would be the new baby's godparent. Constant suggestions that she has hurt his pride have had the intended consequence. Even simple decisions warrant his opinion, so he can't accuse her of not valuing it. Some of the most significant instances of deception in Othello occur without the actor of them being aware of the consequences therein. When Amelia steals the handkerchief, she thinks she's doing Iago a harmless favour. However, he uses it as evidence that Desdemona has been unfaithful. For both Desdemona and Helen, the occasions when they have seemed also have unforeseen implications. So Desdemona self-confessedly deceived her father in marrying Othello. She makes it clear she was fully cognizant of her actions. To his honour and his valiant parts did I my soul and fortunes consecrate. Prior to this, she has been a jewel and virtuous. Nevertheless, this sole deception is enough to cause suspicion. Her father suggests it sets a precedent. Look to her more if thou hast eyes to see. She has deceived her father and may thee. The idea that seeming is a permanent state makes it easy for Iago to carry out his deception. He reminds Othello that she did deceive her father marrying you and stresses how convincing this was to give out such a seeming to seal her father's eyes up close as oak he thought was witchcraft. He suggests that such a skilled deception cannot be a one-off and is, as per the play's overall thematic concern, far more likely to be constant. In contrast, it was an inadvertent seeming by Helen that led to a misperception of her by Rob. On the night Jack was conceived, Rob told Helen about his first impressions of her, as we can hopefully hear here. Um, and warning, this is, this is really quite creepy. <laughs> I remember one of the first times I saw you. It was just after I'd arrived and you were sitting by yourself in the playground with Henry. Oh no, I was probably in an old baggy jumper with tissues stuffed up the sleeves. <laughs> no, no, you're wearing a cotton dress, the one with the primroses. You remember that? The sun was in your hair and you and Henry were laughing. I don't think he knew I was there. Do you know what I thought to myself? No. What did you think? I thought to myself, which lucky so-and-so got her to give him a child? Because I want to find him and kill him. <laughs> did you really? Oh, something like that. Little did you know. Little indeed. And now I'm that guy. And the woman on the bench, well, she's mine. Is she everything you thought she would be? Absolutely. Wonderful wife, a wonderful mother. <laughs> well, it really can't be me you're talking about then. She's beautiful and devoted. And best of all, I know that when the whole world's against me, there'll still be one person standing by my side. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to cook you a special meal to say thank you. Darling, you really didn't need to. If anyone should be grateful, it's me. That woman in the playground, no, no. she was lonely, <laughs> uptight, convinced no one shh, 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 shh. ever want her. Don't say that. You're perfect. 
Ew, creepy, creepy. Um, by the time this conversation took place, it was clear that Rob had misjudged Helen. He took her for a happy mother to Henry by herself as she needed nothing else but him and assumed from this that she would be willing to have more children. You can hear that Helen tries to distance herself from that woman in the playground, and that's partly because her self-esteem's been eroded. You can hear how desperate she is to live up to this impression, even as she doubts her ability to keep Rob disagrees. She is what he thought he saw. Perfect. It appears that Rob targeted Helen as a potential partner based on assumptions, especially around her supposed maternal instincts. He always made his desire for children clear. In July 2013, he cited Jess's unwillingness to have children as a factor in their relationship breakdown. Every obstacle Helen created was pushed aside. It could be argued that the rape, which took place the same night as this conversation, was his response to the realisation that his assumptions had been incorrect. As there was no prospect of her agreeing to have more children for the foreseeable future, he took matters into his own hands. Um, note again his choice of words. He tells Helen that he thought Henry's father got her to have him and we heard him using exactly the same words in last week's presentation um, when she stabbed him by now he knows that he was wrong however he foreshadows the evening's coming events by outlining his ongoing expectations having a child is something that the mother does passively the man gets her to do it as he will later that night uh, in both instances what desdemona and helen seemed to be becomes reality Desdemona, whose one deception supposedly signifies permanent dishonesty, does lie. Othello asks her if she has the handkerchief, and he knows that she hasn't by this time, but he then claims that it was his mother's and amplifies the status of the gift, and that's what causes her to lie. But in doing so, she appears to him to confirm her status as a seamer, and she ostensibly proves everything that Iago has alleged. She couldn't have anticipated the implications of her deception of her father, but there's a causal link in the narrative between that deception and her fate. Uh, Othello no longer loves her, and so, as he predicted earlier, chaos is come again. Equally, many of Rob's actions towards Helen, keeping her at home, criticising her more risque outfit choices, and ultimately the rape, appear to be an extended attempt by him to make the isolated, demure, eternal figure she seemed a reality. At the time of writing, the conclusion to the Rob Helen storyline is impossible to anticipate. Is Rob's goal as simple as her complete isolation? To know, the audience would need to understand his motivation, which remains a mystery. In contrast, Iago cites his desire for revenge within the first few lines of the play, when he says that he is only continuing to serve Othello to serve my turn upon him. Later, we find he believes that twixt my sheets he has done my office, i.e. that Othello has previously cuckolded him. And although this seems unlikely, given the portrayal of Amelia within the play, it does give his actions added weight. So my paper concluded by suggesting that Rob too is sometimes motivated by revenge. It could be argued that his actions in controlling Helen are a form of revenge against her for her seeming. He mistook her for something that she wasn't and that must be hard for someone who thinks they're expert at reading people to accept. Um, and the idea of him taking revenge against those who deceive him is reinforced when you consider his relationship with Charlie. When Charlie first arrived in Ambridge in April 2014, he was presented as budgies, shush. 
She was presented as an antagonist to several characters, but only Rob maintained this animosity. Unsurprisingly, Rob's interactions with Charlie took a different tone after he found out about Charlie and Adam's New Year kiss. Like most of the residents of Ambridge, Rob seems to have assumed that Charlie was heterosexual. If his important self-image relies on judging people, combining that error with his long-established homophobia only amplifies the significance. It could be argued that Rob's dislike of Charlie comes not only from his aversion to gay men, but also in revenge for his seeming, presumably at a cost to Rob's own perception of his reputation. Unlike Othello, The Archers has no finite conclusion. Storylines come and go, some are left unresolved. Such has been the effect of the character of Rob upon Ambridge that it is hard to conceive that there will not be some definite denouement. In Othello, Iago's seeming unravels and justice is promised. The last words we hear from him in the play are typical. Othello begs him to explain his actions, but ever the manipulator, he refuses. Demand me nothing. From this time forth, I never will speak word. Listeners of The Archers will surely not accept a similar silence in respect of Rob, wanting the controversy resolved and the supposed psychopath to receive his comeuppance. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Evie. Right, give me one moment and I'll do the text. Which I'll, um, I'll unshare my screen, shall I? That would be amazing. Thank you very much. Some of you have said about the sound quality on this. Um, it, I don't control the sound. It's We're broadcasting over an internet platform, so it depends on all of those different contingencies on that. Uh, you can turn up the sound on your computer or device. You can turn up the sound also within Zoom as well. So if you're struggling to hear it, I suggest you put both of those up to the max. Um, and then we'll just, um, yeah, and it, it can go in and out just as, you know, the nature of the platform i'm afraid uh nicola i mean i was thinking a lot there around rob and philip comparisons and also helen kirsty comparisons and helen and kirsty are very different people will kirsty's character help her through what is probably inevitably just about to happen to her i don't know what nicola have you got any questions or comments first uh, thank you, Abby. That was absolutely wonderful again. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's another Shakespearean thing, really, isn't there? So that thing about doubling, um, often within one play, there's like the, 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 the text and then the subtext, you know, in order to kind of echo. And I think it is quite fascinating, the difference between the Rob and Philip setup. And I wrote this, I think, in the group the other day. Like, Rob was a monster in the home, but quite popular in the village. But Philip seems to need sort of really quite um, sort of cosseting and kind of, you know, I mean, I would definitely not be into that myself. Like, you know, he, he, he's quite full on in terms of in his own house. He's a bit neutral to the wider village, I think. And then obviously he's, you know, got, you know, people that he doesn't really view as people uh, imprisoned somewhere. I wonder if you want to say something about that, Abby, the kind of reflection of manipulation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what's really interesting about the difference between Philip and Rob is that the listener knew quite early on that there was something that was not right about Rob because you know you had the hunt sab you had that he was homophobic you were witness to all sorts of different conversations that he had with different people whereas with Philip until the explosion 
all we've heard apart from the odd clues here and there that things haven't been right is his home life and it seems that he is quite two separate people you know he he's not my cup of tea as a partner but he seems to be the type of partner that a lot of people would like he's kind and generous and considerate to Kirsty ostensibly um but it's interesting that he has started being manipulative of Blake now um and something that I thought was really interesting with the use of language was that he was talking calling Linda an old lady now Linda might ostensibly be an old lady, but that's not the way that her character's portrayed to the listener. Um, and it's not how I think you would describe her in other circumstances. Um, but I think it's just interesting that, that the clues have been a lot more subtle because we haven't seen those interactions with those people that would show the different side of the character. Mm. Although, I mean, um, I don't know if anyone is a Dumpty Dum aficionado, Royfield had him twigged right early on as there being something weird about money and family and then obviously due to uh, you know he then played all the times that he had been going on about Philip so in a sense I think there was a bit of a trail of crumbs but it was differently done right like I I think we've so it's also really interesting where we've seen him and as I say he's been really quite solicitous and cosseting of Kirsty in his house but you know, uh, you know, no matter how much of a monster you are, and how you know how, what dubious work practices, I think somebody's already said um, on Dumpty Dum that he's compartmentalizing in a kind of really tight way. That I'm not sure Rob was compartmentalizing. I think it seeped out all the time, didn't it? The seeming was, to be honest, the mask sort of slipped off Rob when he couldn't control it anymore, and I think. I was just reflecting that when you gave that paper for the first time, there was a debate about whether he was controlling or whether it was a, it was he was fine in the break because it wasn't clear yet. It wasn't absolutely crystal clear that he was a manipulator. If you remember, there was there were. Yeah. You know, I mean, Rob needed to be perfect. Um, Rob needed to be seen the way he wanted to be seen by everyone. By everyone, I agree. Um, uh, you know, he had to be good at cricket, didn't he, and all of these different things. Um, but I think he perhaps just looked at it in a different way from Philip. I mean, Philip's more of a kill people with kindness. I mean, there obviously have been clues going back a long way with Philip and people have spotted them to different extents. But a lot of people, you know, when, when you look at stuff online, people are saying, nope, don't believe it at all. Haven't seen any of it. Haven't seen any evidence at all. And, and while I don't think that is true for me, I think it has been a far more subtler portrayal of someone. Um, and and you know the fact is that an awful lot of people are very different at work you know um and and there is nothing to say that someone can't be a nice husband and a horrible horrible disgusting boss mm. you know both of those things can be true at the same time um mm. because it is about compartmentalizing and it, it is interesting that rob didn't do that and wasn't able to do that and i think um Again, that that's something that's similar with Othello. You don't really understand the deeper manipulation, you know, the the um, 
the motivations behind it um because i wondered whether it was to do with his upbringing you know and you're supposed mm -hmm. to keep a lid on everything for as long as you can and then suddenly you can't anymore and it comes out one way or the other but it never and they did spend an awfully long time establishing him as an upper middle class character mm -hmm. which was the other thing about his manipulation being hidden in plain sight so whatever you know whatever you you make of a public school education cricket hunting all the rest of it that's that's that was deliberately situating him with you know ostensibly high status mm. um behaviors and sort of responses but let's face it as we all know boarding school is purely a breeding ground for psychopathy so let's leave that where it is right there's a few um, comments here from people that i want to turn to so this is from Claire. When Philip first arrived in the village, he mainly existed as a way for established characters to unload internal thoughts and feelings. Did that for Shula and Alistair and Lillian too. I think that Philip was able to elicit confidences from people and maybe store those up for manipulation later. And then Becky, similarity between Helen and Kirsty is the way they've ended up being completely subsumed into their relationships with their male partners. Kirsty only ever talks about Philip these days, which is very true. Um, I was wondering, um, it said somebody else named so Vanessa saying Philip was more surprising for me. Rob early on gave clues, as you're, you're right there. Um, and a lot of people looking forward to the uh, Roy and Blake conversations. I think that feels like we're building up to the moment that this is going to get exposed in yes, some way. See, I'm, I'm a bit worried that the Roy and Blake conversation isn't going to happen. I'm a bit worried that Roy's going to tell Kirsty because they're really close recently, mm. that, that Roy's going to tell Kirsty that Linda wanted him to speak to Blake and that Kirsty would say, oh, don't worry, Philip's at the hospital all the time. He'll do it for you. Mm. Um, I, I mean, that, that's, that's what I would do if I wanted to string it out a bit longer. I mean, I don't know whether they want to do that or not. But yeah, I mean, it, it is a possible conclusion of this part of it. But yeah, I, well, I just that's, got um, to get that's, out until after Kirsty's got married. I feel that they've got to get married before. Oh no, I, I, I know it's terrible. It. I feel they've got to get married beforehand because it's going to make it that much worse which is just awful i like kirsty i don't know why she's like the source of all punishment but i just feel that the wedding's got to happen oh god because i don't oh, understand why why roy and kirsty and philip are so close to each other suddenly i mean i know kirsty used to be close to roy but i don't know about philip really i know they they lived together for a little bit i think but they've been forced back together by him doing stuff for the wedding and i don't understand I think, why that's happened but i think philip's quite plastic i mean that thing about how he was right up in the middle of the disintegration of um alistair and shula in a way it was a bit like what like they both were i think he I think that would be evidence for his manipulations sort of leaking over. A good, really good point here from Emma Loveridge about the more sort of banal side of it. And this is so true. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in this boat as well. I saw a Twitter or Facebook thread yesterday which had people all being surprised at hearing their partners online for work calls. Somebody had put on something that I read was, hey, I'm married to a let's circle back guy. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think I think that's. But then also, there's even more potential kind of for this sort of mask wearing, seeming, seeming, which again is like one of Shakespeare's big things. You know, always is that it's um, you know, 
so the, you know there is a there's a brilliant essay which I called the happy healthy human wears many masks by Kenneth Gergen which I think is really interesting but there is something about we still believe that people have got sort of a more of a sense of who they are in the middle of all that and when it's out of really out of whack so yes as I say sort of really solicitous and kind of sentimental kind of wants his home life to be nice I think is pretty consistent with somebody who's kind of slightly horrific I, I I'm do mindful of the time day. now, because yeah, we're at 20 point. to 12 already, gosh. Uh, thank you so much, Abby, and there's a huge amount of love for you coming through on the chat You're as welcome. well. Well deserved, of course. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. Thank oh, you so I mean, that was brilliant. Well That's done, you. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, right, so this is where I need to go into my tech now and share my screen with you. Um, and we're going to go over to Gary. So while I set that up, uh, Nicola, do you want to intro Gary a little? Yeah, hang on. I've just got to open it. I've just got all carried away with being. Hang on, hang on. I'll just find it. Intro. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Before he had even presented a word at this year's Academic Archers, we had awarded Gary Gilday with a prize, a retro stopwatch for the We've Been Waiting For You category. I think maybe Gary was surprised by the love bombing he received at Reading as he firmly buddied up with kindred spirits. His first conference, we hope, will not be his last. With a 30-year run under his belt, The Simpsons is, like The Archers, so familiar as to be part of the wallpaper. It is the longest-running scripted drama in the United States, much as The Archers is the longest-running scripted drama here. The Simpsons' appealing brand of liberal subversion and its position on the Fox network, I watched an episode this morning where Homer was trying not to expose Bart to gay men, and, was, and I was laughing out loud again. You sort of forget how subversive it is because it's kind of on all the time. So Mo in Mo's Tavern said, modern culture has a distinctly swishifying effect on boys and men, which is about exposing yourself to kind of queer culture. Clearly AA, academic archers, has a similarly swishifying effect, although we do welcome heterosexuals occasionally, they are tolerated. We have had a series of papers over the years on queer ambridge, from Karen's queering Shula, to how the archer reflects heteronormativity by Bill Patton, and that's in custard. Anyway, I digress. Gary curates the inherited Archer's blog, archersfan.blogspot.com, and has recently received content from Timothy Bentick, who is on uh, quite close terms with David Archer, and Susie Riddell, a good friend of Tracy Horobin, regarding their hiatus around coronavirus and when it's all going to come to the village. And thank you, Gary, for sharing all that with us on our Facebook page, because it meant that we've been known what has been going on. So. Um, this paper serves to underscore that small communities, whether Ambridge or Springfield, share many, 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 in fact, common features. The Archers versus the Simpsons. What would happen when two very similar worlds collide? Okay, so what we're going to do now is share the video that uh, we had from Gary giving his presentation in Reading this year. It is hilarious. Uh, and then we will go over to Gary and we'll have a chat with him and more questions and so on following.
how well, what it's like, if they can discriminate against them because of the colour of Cora, there's no sound. Okay, I'll go back. When did the sound cut out from? We never had it. It might be helpful if we all um, get, stop our videos. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. Hang on. That's a really good idea, Catherine. Can everybody mute video for now so that, you, so that it doesn't affect the bandwidth? Yeah, it's still not working, Cara. Okay. Is your YouTube on mute? No. <laughs> I can hear it here. 
Right. Um, and it, it does, it should just share. Uh, do you want to try and share it from your screen, Nicola? Yeah, I'll try. Hang on, hang on. I'll try. Yeah, I'm really I'll try. Sorry about this, folks. This did uh, this did work the other day. Absolutely fine. Um, have you still sent me the link? Have you put it in Facebook chat? Uh, I've got, I sent it to you on email and I can do it in chat as well. Fine, fine, I'll get it on email. Hang on. Inbox. No. It's, oh, here we are. Primary. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Let's try this. <laughs> Hang on. So my fear is, right, okay, so you started sharing the screen there, Nicola. Do you want to try, let's try this again. Good to see you've got the Academic Arches rosettes there on your uh, desktop, easy to hand photograph. Is it not opening for you there? Hang on. I wonder if it's a rights thing. I wonder if we can't put it into their total acreage, basically. Yeah. So people are able to say whatever we give them. So, so Thing that you've had your fill today. Um, however, next 
I think Peggy Woody and Grandpa Simpson would get on like a barn on fire. They're both manipulative monsters who continually manufacture wild schemes and a never-ending quest to remain relevant in the lives of their children. I can see a marriage. Just imagine Jenny Darling's reaction. Another character who would fit in rather nicely in Springfield would be Harrison. After all, he and Police Chief Wiggum appear to have almost identical arrest rates. Pretty much zero as far as we can gather. But where would the potential flashpoints and tensions be in this experiment? Well, I find that hard to imagine that the Reverend Lovejoy or Ned Flanders would be too happy if the blessed sugar turned up in Springfield muscled their way to the front of the altar to hand out spiritual advice to all those hungry. I think we all know how quick to violence these religious people can be on some occasions. And obviously Jazza and groundskeeper Willie must never be in the same geographical location. I'm from Glasgow, trust me on this one. And I think there would be huge, huge enormous differences when it comes to childcare. For example, whenever Marge and Homer have a night out, they actually pay cold, hard cash for a babysitter. Can you imagine the look on Pip's face if she was going out to cause some kind of incident on a farm and she wasn't able to just dump Rosie on whoever happened to be passing by? There would be hell to pay. And The Simpsons famously only has one child you never hear speak, baby Maggie. In the actors, it sometimes feels as if there's been dozens of them throughout the years. If only that silence extended into later age. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Freddie and Lily. Now, as both communities, no awe, they're hateful. Now, as both communities are seemingly chock a block with bizarre loss making hobby enterprises that miraculously keep almost everyone in paid employment, as always, money wouldn't really be a problem for the cost of this endeavour. Well, unless you're trailer park by trash or a Grundy. It should at this point be noted that several people would not be permitted to take part in this life swap, ex life swap experiment due to various international treaties. For example, the export of Gavins is banned by Article 72 of the Geneva Convention. And both Lillian and Brian are classed in my mind as national treasures and as such the removal overseas is strictly prohibited. <laughs> As intimated on my course, I genuinely, genuinely think this, this could and should be the starting point for a whole brave new world of human interaction, and I look forward to hearing from the relevant authorities in due course. It all remains for me to thank you all for listening to the ramblings of a man with quite obviously far too much time on his hands. I thank you. There in the end. Okay. <laughs> Great. I'm just trying to work out how to get up. Hang on. Who's done it? Oh, that was fantastic. What a tonic. There we go. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened with that. And how did you seem to fix it, Nicola? I'm, I'm trying to fix it. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> that was amazing. Right. Close. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Gary. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Sorry, that was such a pain in the ass. Right, are there any questions for <laughs> Gary Gilday? Gary, is there any reflections on not the tech? <laughs> oh, well, re 
reflection would be I wouldn't have worn that jumper. <laughs> I'd have kept the trousers on, obviously. And it, it, not it's um, better to wear them than not. Yes. Um, I'm naked from the waist down right now. Um, as I imagine most of us are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got some new messages in there. I love what your the, one of the comments there about universes not troubled by the real world, mm. um, and how prescient that is for us now. <laughs> um, and and how that makes the conference seem so so distant and you know from a different world in that in that way. Um, it was it was absolutely great to hear that again. Thank you. Who would win in a fight between Bart and Henry? Oh, Henry, because he is obviously the spawn of the devil and has <laughs> armies of darkness to call on. Bart's just an innocent child with a catapult. He wouldn't stand a chance. I think. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why didn't we think of Henry being child of the devil and he's going to win everything? Of course. Absolutely, of course. Gary, question from Amy. Can you tell us about your poster? Uh, my poster, um, I had a lot of help from husband in doing that because I've never made a poster in my entire life. Um, it was, do you have the, the cards, the images available? I can, yes. To draw, to draw a pin. Um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the the card game Top Trumps. And that's, for example, there's Will Grundy. I don't know if everyone can see that on screen. But you basically just allocate points to people um, based on random strengths and weaknesses. And I had a great time deciding what characters to use. Uh, my favourite is probably Tom Archer, Sausage Boy, because once I stumbled across that image, then you couldn't not. And, and because he's so childish, I thought I would riff on the spot books, the run, spot, run. Um, I had a great time making the poster. Um, I wish I still had something to do with those. The dim, distant past when you could go outside, I wish I was preparing for it just now. Um, I do regret not putting Philip in. It would have been a completely different proposition because I was going to, I was going to file him under boring, just boring and placid and nothing and brought nothing to the programme or the village. And how wrong was I? That was ridiculously wrong. Um, I never ran out of words. <laughs> I just thought you had Tom ability at 23, which is very high. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean, it's, um, <laughs> I know it's out of a hundred, but it's still move. very, very high. <laughs> I was drunk when I did that one. Kate <laughs> is the most important person in the empire in the entire universe. Now they still seventy-three. Even a fight sixty-two. Has Sorry, Kate been I lambing? Sorry, I didn't catch that, Cara, sorry. No, I'm just reading out the one from, from Kate's card there as well. And this is definitely how I imagine uh, the button system. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great one. It took me almost a full afternoon to track down an image of two females dressed as mains. 
it's fantastic. <laughs> Little is known of the mysterious Molly and Tilly Button. For years it was thought that they were behind the infamous bunting incident. Some hope sisters will soon explode onto the Ambridge scene. Others doubt their very existence. It's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Bless. <laughs> There's one there, David. His landing skills at 100, of course, absolutely. Shag ability one, absolutely <laughs> correct on that one, I think, too, Gary. <laughs> Delusional 82. <laughs> A farming man to his very core, David spends much of his time tending to his small herd of ridiculous children. One of his most recent hobbies is exploding with rage at their stupidity. It is widely recognised that his voice is really, really sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone could argue with that. <laughs> I think some might. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be wrong. And then on to, on to pick uh, Business Acumen 71, and that could be definitely debated there, Gary. Pip is a young farmer who certainly didn't let motherhood get in the way. Known for her bizarre way of speaking and her on-off relationship with both the truth and Fair Toby Fairbrother, Pip is certainly not easy to like or forget, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> <laughs> I do love her with such a passion. <laughs> I really do. Will somebody do a paper about the Button Sisters at the Future Conference? I think that was great. We've talked a lot about the silent characters. But to, to be, you know, to get in deep with some of them would be absolutely fantastic, I think. They would indeed. Uh, somebody's asked about where they can find this on YouTube. So um, generally, if you just Google Academic Archers YouTube, it's there. Uh, it, it will start to, you know, one of the conferences will pop up. Um, there are links on the conference pages on academicarchers.net as well to all of the conference sessions. Um, and I've posted a link to Gary's uh, talk um, in this chat thing as well. So you'll you'll get that. Pick Criminal Intent eighty five. What does that what's that based on, Gary? Somebody's asked. Uh, well, Pip's criminal intent. Yeah. Well, I think because she's so inherently selfish that she wouldn't hesitate to just stomp over everyone and anyone to do what she wants. So, so that we, go on. Oh, and and based on my absolute hatred of her as well. Yeah, there was no okay. rationale involved, it was just sheer hate. <laughs> Understandable. I was talking to our, our much-loved um, Ambridge Observer on Twitter, and uh, they tweeted that Pip was the sort of person that would touch you for buying too many essential uh, you know, items in the shop. And I said, well, she'd be doing that while she was buying her very big stock of essential items as well. She's just the sort of person that would tell you off for doing the thing that she's actually doing too. Absolutely. Yeah. There were so many people who could be linked with Miss Burns. How did you decide, asked Amy? Um, because the character that I probably hate the most, who does actually seem like a nasty person, this was pre-Philip, obviously, was Hannah. She just seems to just spit bile all the time. She's just always angry for some reason. and. And I've got no idea why, well, probably because she has to live in Ambridge when, after having traveled the world and been in charge of this and that. And she strikes me as someone who craves power and will never, ever, ever achieve power. She will always be at best middle management. 
and it will consume her with rage for her entire life. So, and that's exactly the sort of person that I really hate. <laughs> um, and I would much rather go for a pint with Mr. Burns than Hannah Riley. Oh, that's saying something. That's really yeah. saying something. <laughs> oh, Abby, Abby, contentious as ever. Hannah is angry because she's working for a man who has been promoted above his capability. Sorry, Neil. Wow. <laughs> As usual, I completely agree with Abby. I mean, yeah, I agree too. <laughs> imagine being in the workplace with Neil. I mean, he's, you know, he'd be fine in the parish council, but in the in the you know proper industrial pig unit, mon dieu. <laughs> <laughs> Question here from Claire to uh, to uh, Tim. I love you, Tim Basmati. Uh, does Tim have a view on the future leadership, high management potential of Hannah Riley? If you're still there with us, Tim, I will unmute you. Or you can perhaps, oh, here we go, unmute. Are you there, Tim? Or it comes, it keeps changing. Tim, if you're there, if you can unmute yourself, that will be easier because it's not working on my controls. But yeah, if jump in if you have a, a view on Hannah's potential management. Uh, yeah, definitely a future business leader. Uh, not much of a prospect for parish council. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be very interesting how we see their two management styles put literally next door to each other um, as the pig unit changes and, and which will win out. It feels like an almost sort of Tommy, Thomas Hardy-esque battle of of you know the old ways and the new ways of automation coming in as well. I think that's um, would be interesting to say the least yes could this be done with family guy or star wars a lot of people have mentioned buffy as well um mm. buffy has a major academic fandom mm. good god they take it seriously uh i don't know what our two tribes would be like going up against them we have needles i suppose buffy has all sorts of superpowers yeah oh neil is so lovely from louise bless <laughs> I still find it extraordinary that Ed Neil was ever given that job. Um, yeah. Does Hannah have a top trump card? No, because it would have just been full of expletives. Yeah. yeah. And can I just say that um, Buffy, Vampire Slayer and Archers have an actor in common? They do. That's being picked up on here. There is. There's ah. somebody that does link us, link us both. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic um, in, in the arches as well. I'd like to hear more of him as well. Yeah. So, lovely, um, but being lovely isn't necessarily management material. I think that seems to be a consensus. So having a um, having, I think. I thought we'd worked out how to use the hands up thing, but Paula had her hand hand up earlier. Was that was that just hours ago? <laughs> Paula, did you have a question that you wanted to wanted to um, to ask? Hang on. And Louise has a question as well. Do you want to jump in, Louise? I was just playing. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing fair that enough. as well. <laughs> Hang on. It might, yeah. So, yeah. I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, some of the advanced functions of Zoom have been more challenging this morning. So, um, 
I know a lot of you were really keen on the insurgency paper because that relies again on, on you do need to see that one. I think we'll probably roll it over because um, it's so bloody brilliant. We'll do it next time, promise. But uh, yeah, working out what went wrong with the, with the share screen, I think is probably a bit of a priority for Cara and I before we meet again. I guess, um, is there, is it, would anybody else like to, to speak or say anything Arches related or whatever, really. And if so, if you unmute yourself and start, we won't unmute everybody because, God, I mean, like Abby's birds made enough noise. But if anybody wants to dive in, then this, please consider the floor to be yours. Sorry, can I just say something very quickly? Yep. Can I just say hi to? Can I just say hi to Ilsa? Long time <laughs> no see, darling. What a small <laughs> world we live in. Did you not? Know? That's brilliant. <laughs> Certainly in Glasgow, so hi guys! <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Fantastic. There is a really good question here from Esther. Which Archer's character would be best and worst at using Zoom? And this reminds me of one of my favourite scenes ever of a tipsy Brian trying to get into Peggy's online bank account. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> and it was wonderful. I could listen to 15 minutes of that if they want to do a slow radio Archer's. It was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, brilliant. What do, I, what do you think on that one? Who would be best at using Zoom? Not necessarily the young people, actually, and it depends whether you can get any internet either. Yeah, I think we'll pretend to be hopeless, but be really good at it. <laughs> I think we have to assume that rural broadband in uh, in Borsetshire must be quite rubbish because they'd very rarely refer to. I mean, how would how are they going to cope when the virus comes? Because they never ever go online. Yeah, yeah. Vanessa says perhaps we need to watch the videos in preparation if we didn't attend or forgotten. Uh, that's right. If we if we can't get the shared video to work on Zoom, um, then we will go to a plan B or a plan C on that. We will make it happen somehow. So we're all in on that content as we as we should be. Yes, absolutely. The Boston sisters <laughs> become IT experts. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, Robert would be good at Zoom. You're quite right, Tim. And also I think someone said Natasha, well of course she's got to keep up her liaison with uh, other people somehow, doesn't she? Yeah. Joy is adept at Skype, only contact with her family. Or okay. is so, she? So, so <laughs> Does the family is, exist? Is she actually a police person? You know. <laughs> can I um can I yes, can we just discuss that for a moment? Because this has been giving me life, this rumour. The idea that Joy is an undercover cop and she is gonna bust <laughs> Philip. Like I just think I, I love it so much, please let it be true, but my fear is that it's not, but um, when it, it went on Twitter and I had one of those things of like, oh my god, if they've done that, I will love the Archers even more than I already do. Any views on Joy as Miss Marple or... Um, Miss or Vera, she could be a bit of a Vera, she's won that place. <laughs> mm. Love it, Joy the Cop, yes please, there's definitely something off with Joy. Yep. Apparently, I want to believe. I want to believe. I think we all want to believe that. I saw lots of hands go up and excitement about Joy being the undercover cop. I think it would be amazing. I mean, I would love that because, particularly because, and the thing that I was thinking about when I saw it was um, when all that absolute pants about talking to the animals. If that was a ruse to get round the village and kind of get, I just like come on, like 
it's like the detective story within the detective story. I'm 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 here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, Nick, so if you found that Dermot could be a guest writer, that would be amazing. <laughs> she certainly managed, Sarah Playfair, she certainly managed to get in everywhere, but doesn't quite fit with the, the Joy Tony story either. Has anybody asked at Borsetshire Police, that wonderful Twitter account? Actually, that's true. We should perhaps check back in with Borsetshire Police and, uh, and where they're at with that. Lots of voting for Val Dermot to suddenly come in as a guest writer. <laughs> Fantastic. We are coming up to around time. Um, so we will sort out the tech for next time. We will do that by hook by crook. We will try and make it work for next time. Next time, uh, there will be a password to use. Zoom is bringing this in because so many Zoom chats are getting infiltrated uh, by people that shouldn't be there. Um, we will have to you will have to get a free ticket for this and then that will reply with a link but also a password as well. So I'm going to be spending the afternoon doing some gardening but also sourcing that out as well. So bear with me as we get that whole system set up. It won't, there's no cost for it. Um, there's, you know, we still have the same, you know, limit to 100 people online at once, that kind of thing. It just means that when you join, when you click the link, you'll be asked to put in a password. That's so otherwise everything is exactly the same. Um, so we heard um, that Dumpty Dum's seven o'clock last night was Zoom bombed, so that's why we were a bit worried about what what was uh, awaiting us. But you know, yeah, it's only, say, yeah, it's, it's happening in, increasingly, so uh, it's just one of the things we just have to do. Um, and uh, I'll put the link up to that and everything when that's that's ready. So bear with me on that one because I also do want to do some gardening this afternoon. I will put the podcast up for this as well. Um, I will put out the links to, I'll put the link onto the Facebook page as well for Gary's page too so people can see it on there as well. Nicola, anything else before we finally, finally, finally sign off? Nope, that's it from me. Lovely. Just so good to see everybody. Stay well, stay safe, stay inside. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll be a bit more organised next week. <laughs> Thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.